Well, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, be turning there. Romans 12. We are picking back up in our series that we left off in uh, a couple of weeks ago called Reviving the Mission. And we've been talking about uh, some different characteristics of what an effective church looks like. Some things from Scripture that as we compile these together, we see, oh, to be effective as a church, to be as effective, honestly, as individual Christians, we have to have these things present in our lives. And we talked about how an effective church is a missional church. We're going to be on mission, remembering that we are called to tell other people about Jesus, to be lights in a dark world. An effective church is a praying church. We're going to be a church that continues to pray for one another and to pray for our community, to pray for our mission. We talked about how an effective church is a faithful church, and we're faithful to the Lord, but also we're faithful to gather together, all of those things. We said an effective church is a concerned church. We have concern for the loss and concern for one another. And then the last time we were in this series together, we talked about how an effective church is a proactive church. We're not just sitting on the sidelines waiting for somebody else to do the work. We're jumping in and getting involved ourselves and asking God, what can we do? And if there's anything that I can do, send me, sign me up. Well, this morning in Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a different characteristic of an effective church. But before I read this passage, we're going to go through verse 8, by the way, verse 1 through 8. Before I read this passage, let me kind of set up the context a little bit for you in Romans. As you know, uh, much of the uh, letters in the New Testament that are written, written to different churches are written for similar reasons. Uh, one here, they were uh, battling some false teachings and those kind of things at the church in Rome. And really, when the ch early church came together... They were having a little bit of a difficulty getting along and seeing eye to eye, understanding the truth, because they all came from different backgrounds. Many of them came from different religions, different, um, you know, kind of classes uh, of, of life, uh, economical classes and those kind of things. And so you had all these different people from different backgrounds coming together, trying to figure out what it looked like to live for Jesus. And so a lot of the letters were written to address those things. You had various groups like Jews and Gentiles together. You had folks who were slaves, folks who were free. Uh, you had men and women, and, and in that culture, uh, that looked different to live as a man and as a woman as far as uh, how the culture treated, treated you in those times. And then coming all together and thinking about what it looked like to live as Christians in a group of folks from all different backgrounds, they needed some instruction. They needed some guidance. And let me just say, that church, as many of the New Testament churches, had a lot of reasons to be divided. And when we think about what it means to be an effective church, a church, I can tell you this, will never, ever be effective so long as its members are divided and living for themselves. Now, let me say that again. It doesn't matter. We can talk about what an effective church is, but a church will never be effective so long as its membership is divided or so long as its membership, everyone's just living for themselves and trying to make the most of life and most of church for themselves. We are called to be together. And we're going to see some of that wording here in this passage, that we are one body in Christ, working together, striving together. So look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, and I want you to look at what God's Word tells us. It says, Therefore, 
brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together as we dig into God's Word today. Father, we've read Your Word this morning. We see Your Word before us. Lord, we need to know and understand Your Word and be willing to live it out. And so this morning as we're confronted with this passage of Scripture, help us to assess our own hearts and our own lives And Lord, collectively, help us to assess our church. Lord, we want to be effective for you and your kingdom. We want to be effective individuals, but we want to be an effective church together. And so help us to see even more this morning what that requires from each of us to do as individuals and to do together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, key themes out the gate this morning that you see in verse 1 is the idea of sacrificial living. Sacrificial living, and of course, within that uh, term, sacrificial, we have the word sacrifice. And when we think about sacrifice, oftentimes in our own lives, we think of people who have sacrificed to help us to get where we are in life. All of us can probably think of different folks along the way in our lives, starting out from our, uh, with our parents. You know, our parents sacrificed so much in many ways for us to be where we are. You know, spending time teaching us, training us, uh, buying us food, you know, raising us, and let's just be honest, putting up with us a lot of times, right? They sacrificed so much to get us where we are. I think about uh, our grandparents. You know, some of you had grandparents that meant so much to you and still do. And our grandparents, they, I remember my grandparents spent a lot of time with me um, and, and allowed me to stay at their house a lot of times, and they taught me what it was like to, to love and to, um, and they helped me grow in a lot of ways. And even my great-grandparents, I remember every time that I saw one of my great-grandfathers, um, and I didn't get to see him too often, but every time I saw him, he would always say, hey, GJ, come here. And he'd pull out his wallet. He'd say, I think I got a dollar for you. And just give me a dollar just because that's what he did, right? And it was just him showing sacrifice in some ways. When we think about others who have sacrificed for us, 
We think about our teachers, our mentors. Some of you I know in this room today look across this room and you see teachers in your life. Some of you who are teachers look across this room and see students who you had in school, mentors. And we look to those people and we think, man, they, they taught us so much about what we needed for life uh, in some ways. Now, some of us, you know, learn subjects and we're like, well, we'll never need that. But there are bigger things that our teachers teach us, right, in life and prepare us. We think about our bosses who maybe sacrifice in some ways or our coworkers to help us advance in our career and do different things to develop us personally. And so as people, we look to different individuals and think, man, those people were so sacrificially giving toward me. But even further than that, as we gather in this room today, as Christians, when we think about sacrifice, we can't help but think of the one Jesus, who sacrificed everything he had to give us everything that we are and will be in him. Amen? I mean, when we think of sacrifice, even all the people who have sacrificed for us, all of that pales in comparison to what Jesus has done and how he sacrificed for us. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 put it this way. When he talked about Jesus not uh, grasping a hold of the glory that was rightfully his, it says in Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much Jesus sacrificed for you, that he was willing to come to earth, become man, so he could die in your place. Man, you you talk about sacrifice. That is sacrifice. And as a church, we look to Jesus as that example of sacrifice. And because effective churches strive to act like Jesus, an effective church will be a sacrificial church church. Let me say that again. Because effective churches strive to act and to live like Jesus, an effective church will be a sacrificial church. And so just as we're starting out this morning, you know, we thought of people who we know who live sacrificially or have lived sacrificially toward us. When someone else in this world thinks of people who live sacrificially, would they think of you When someone thinks of someone they know who has sacrificed for them in a lot of ways, would your name come to mind? When people in Scottsville think of churches who live sacrificially, would Scottsville Baptist Church come to their mind? Would they say, oh yeah, Scottsville Baptist, they're so giving, they're so serving, they're so loving, they're sacrificial. This morning I've entitled the message, An Effective Church is a Sacrificial Church. And what does sacrifice look like? You know, sacrifice certainly doesn't look like living for ourselves, does it? I mean, it looks opposite of that. We can name some things, just generally speaking, that sacrifice should look like as Christians. Loving the Lord, right? We want to love God and, and sacrifice ourselves and, and follow Him. Loving others as we love ourselves. We could say certainly that would be sacrificial living. We want to love people in that way. Uh, Generally speaking, it would be going without something or going without in general so others can have. That is sacrificing for the sake of others. But from this passage specifically, these eight verses, we're going to find some demands 
that God's word places on our lives if we're going to live sacrificially. And this morning, if you're thinking, why would I want to live sacrificially? Let me just say, because living sacrificially is living as Jesus did, and because living sacrificially involves living for Christ, I can tell you from God's word this morning that when you live sacrificially, you'll find joy, you'll find peace, you'll find true, what true life and the purpose of life is all about. When we sacrifice together, not just as individuals, but together, we will see God move in our church because that's what an effective church does, and God blesses those who live sacrificially. And so let's look at, at how verse 1 starts out by describing this type of sacrifice. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, Now, again, the writer is imploring them, do this. I'm urging you to present your bodies as a, notice what this says, living sacrifice. Specifically, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Now, don't get me wrong as we read this this morning. What we're doing here this morning together is worshiping God. But the day in and day out of true worship as individuals, the day in and day out of true worship as a church looks like this, presenting ourselves, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the original readers of this were certainly familiar with what a sacrifice looked like because, again, they all came from different backgrounds. If any were Jews or Gentiles, they knew what sacrifice looked like, and sacrifice never looked like living. Sacrifice looked like death. In that day and age, for something to be sacrificed, it was killed. It was offered over as worship, as a sacrifice, an offering to the God that was being worshiped. And that was how they were familiar with this. And so this kind of looked like an oxymoron to them a little bit. You can have sacrifice that's a living sacrifice, You see, in any other religion, in any other way of thinking, when you think of sacrifice, it does mean death. But in Christ, when we sacrifice ourselves over to him as living sacrifice, it it means life. It brings life because you will come to find true life when you give your life over to Christ. You will come to to understand what true life and eternal life is all about when you give your life over to the one who gave his life for you. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot down the first demand that is placed on our lives for living sacrificially. Living sacrificially demands a devoted life. Living sacrificially demands a devoted life. All life that is focused on Christ devoted to him rather than ourselves. And if you step back for just a moment, and if we're honest today, living a devoted life for Christ is not something in our sinful nature, in our fleshly nature, that we really want to do, is it? That's not something that comes easy. The idea of living for something other than ourselves doesn't come easy, because in our sinful nature, in our fleshly nature, we just want to live for ourselves. And that's why, listen, that's why so many times that's exactly what we do if we're not following the Lord. Everything becomes about us from our jobs to our families to even when we come into this place for church, everything becomes about us. 
but rather we have to have a life devoted to Christ. And so how do we get to that point? How do we have a mindset or or a, a view that is devoted to Christ instead of ourselves? Well, to do that, we have to have a right perspective. And I want you to look at the beginning of verse 1, how the writer says that we do this. And there are actually a couple of things, but this is the first thing he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to do this. Notice what he says should be our perspective. In view of the mercies of God in view of what Jesus has done for you, in view of the mercy and grace God has given you in your situation, in your condition. When we think about the mercies of God, what should happen is our perspectives should change to our lives being about something bigger, something more than ourselves. And when our perspective change changes, our behavior changes. I remember uh, the first Christmas that we had uh, after Jack was born. He's our first child. And that Christmas, the perspective of Christmas completely changed for me personally. Because I enjoyed seeing him open gifts. I, and, and granted, he wasn't even one year old at that point. And so we had to help him, right? And he didn't really understand any of what was going on. But I enjoyed seeing him open those gifts, play with those gifts. Well, he actually, I think, played with the paper more than the gifts. But, and you know how that goes if you've had kids. But your perspective on that just changes, right? Because up until that point, Christmas had been about just buying gifts for Hillary and and myself and having a list of things that we wanted. But when your perspective changes, at that point for us, it became about something much more. It was about someone else and, and not just ourselves. And as Christians, when we have the right perspectives of God's mercy toward us, our hearts and minds will change and we'll begin to willingly live sacrificially for the Lord because of what he did for us. Our, no lo- our lives will no longer be about ourselves or about us. They're all about him, right? Amen? Philippians 1.21, this is how Paul described his life. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And what that meant is, hey, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. But so long as I'm living, my perspective, my life is all about him. It's not about me. And that should be our attitudes. And so if we're going to have a devoted life, it has to start with having the right perspective. But then notice in verse 2 how else we do that. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this age. In other words, don't look like the culture. Don't allow the culture to shape you. Don't be conformed to what this world looks like. But this is what we should do. Be transformed. Be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, in in order to live a life that's truly devoted, our minds have to change from the things, being about the things of this world to being about the things of Christ. And if you don't know this, let me give you a, a principle that's absolutely true. I found it to be true in my life, that your life will be about what you think about. Your life will be about what you think about. If you want to know what somebody's life is all about and what they're living for, 
Just be around them for a few minutes and listen what they're talking about. Because chances are they're talking about what they're thinking about, and what they're thinking about is what their life is about. Stop for just a moment and consider your own life. What is it that monopolizes the time in your mind? What is it on any given day that, generally speaking, you're spending your time thinking about most? Chances are that thing or that subject is what is driving your life. And so if you want the Lord to be who drives your life, if you want God's word to be what drives your life, we can't be conformed to thinking about anything else, but rather we have to have God's word transform our lives. We have to spend time thinking and dwelling on him so our minds change over and so that our lives will be dedicated to him. And let me just say, if you want to know God's will for your life, what does verse 2 tell us about knowing God's will for our lives? That if we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, what happens? We can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Maybe you've been asking that question lately, like, how do I know God's will for my life? This is where we start, thinking about the things of the Lord. You want to know God's best for your life or how to live sacrificially? Your mind has to be transformed by the Lord. And so how do we do that? Well, certainly we want to spend more time with the Lord, spend more time thinking about the Lord, spend more time reading his word, spend more time in prayer, spend more time talking to others about him. All of these things are crucial, and what you'll find is, maybe not immediately, but over time, as you make these practices a part of your life, over time, you will find that your mind is transformed, is being transformed to become more like the mind of Christ. And as your mind does that, what happens is you'll find yourself thinking differently about Christ, thinking differently about yourself, and thinking differently about other people. The Christians in those days, they were having a difficult time uh, thinking rightly about not just the Lord at times, but they were having a difficult time thinking rightly about one another. In fact, the Christians who met together at local churches oftentimes compared themselves to one another. And they, many of them, thought of themselves as being better than other people. Interestingly enough, one of the ways that they compared themselves to one another, and many thought, I'm better than they are, is by comparing and thinking and, and looking at what spiritual gifts they had compared to other people. And that's one of the things uh, the writer addresses here in verse 3. Look at what he says. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And then after that, he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. So what he's saying here, he's alluding to the fact that, hey, you all are comparing yourselves based on spiritual giftedness, and some of you are thinking of yourselves as better than other people. And fast forward some 2,000 years later, and here we are today, and if we're honest, being humble can be difficult for all of us sometimes, can it? Like it can be, and maybe not specifically about this category, but other categories, being humble can be difficult even if we think we're humble. Reminds me of a guy that, that said, I'm good at everything except being humble. You know, when it comes to being humble, I'm great at that, you know. Uh, that's sometimes our attitudes, right? When we start thinking 
uh, that we're good at being humble, then what happens? Okay, we're no longer humble anymore, and that's a self-feeding cycle. But listen, most of us probably don't compare ourselves to other people based on spiritual gifts. Some of us might, but for most of us, we have a hard time being humble when it comes to other categories. And so as you think about your life this morning, what's the reason that you are tempted to think of yourself as better than someone else? Just stop and think about whatever that is for you. What is the reason that you are tempted to think of yourself as higher than someone else? Maybe for you it has to do with money. And you feel like, well, I I have more money or I can dress better or I I drive a nicer car, have a bigger house. And that temptation for you is to think higher of yourself because of money. Maybe for you, it's about the family that you have, the family you were born into. Maybe your family has a good name in the community. Maybe you're well-known, well-respected, and for that reason, you can think of yourself as more important than someone else. Maybe for you, it has to do with your children or grandchildren, and you just think, boy, there's just nobody like my kid or like my grandkid. There's just nobody who can compare. Now, let's be honest this morning. I think we all think that to some degree, right? And I think there is a, in some ways, a good form of pride that we want to, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my kids, right? We want to be proud in that way. But when it crosses over to now becoming a source of pride in my life, making me feel better or more important or, or you know, higher than anyone else, that becomes an issue. Maybe your job is that thing for you that makes you tempted to think you're above everyone else. But here we are sitting in church, and so let's be honest, maybe some of you feel like you're closer to God than someone else, and that makes you feel more important than than them. Maybe for you, it's about you feel like, oh, I serve Jesus more than anybody in this church. I'm involved in everything, and look at everybody else. They're not really doing anything compared to me, and that gives you a sense of sinful pride. Here's the truth, that we cannot live sacrificially until we reach a place of humility. And so another demand that God's word places on our lives is living sacrificially demands a humble spirit. Living sacrificially demands a humble spirit. If we're gonna live sacrificially, we can't think of ourselves as any better than anyone else. We sang Jesus Loves Me a few minutes ago, and I want you to know this morning, Jesus does love you, but he loves others just as much as he loves you. And we're called to love others just as much as we love ourselves. That is what it looks like to live a life of humility. And so maybe this morning you're, you're tempted to think better of yourself than other people. Let me give you two sobering thoughts, two, two grounding thoughts that will bring us back to humility or should when we pause and actually think about these things. And, and if you're one that's, that's prone to think better of yourself than other people, write these down this morning. And when you get to, to this place, stop and be like, okay, let me, let me ponder on these things. First thought that we need to think about is consider who you would be without Christ. Consider where you would be without Christ. When we begin to think of what we have, what we do, uh, all the blessings that we have in this life, when we begin to stop and consider 
all of those things in light of our lives without Christ or in light of God's graces poured out upon us, we realize very quickly, or at least we should, that we would have nothing if it weren't for him. All this stuff that we get so prideful on, that we brag about or in our minds that we boast about, we have none of that if it weren't for Christ. And so if we're going to brag on anyone, let's brag on Jesus instead of ourselves. Secondly, though, if you're tempted to think more of yourself than other people, think about the love that Christ has for other people. You know, oftentimes, uh, in, I've heard in sermons that I've heard preachers bring out, and, and this is true, bring out this fact that if you were the only one on this planet, Jesus would have come to die for you. And I believe that's the love of God. But the truth is, Jesus died for the world. He died for you, but he also died for the world. He loves people, and we're called to do the same. And so this morning, as you think about your own life, I want you to ask yourself, am I humble? Because I can't truly live sacrificially unless I am humble. When our minds are focused on the goodness and greatness of Christ, what happens is we will think rightly and humbly about ourselves. And it's only then that we can begin to live sacrificially for the Lord and for other people. And so we've seen from God's word this morning that living sacrificially demands a devoted life. It demands a humble spirit. But there's one more area mentioned in this, in this passage that places a demand on living sacrificially, placing, places a demand on us in living in that way. Living sacrificially demands a serving heart. Living sacrificially demands a serving heart. Look at verse 4 again, down through verse 8. He tells them again in verse 3, don't think of yourselves as better than everybody else, especially when it comes to spiritual gifts and those things. And here's how he describes it, verse 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now think about what that means for Scottsville Baptist Church. Think about what that means for the kingdom of God. All of us as Christians are part of the body of Christ. All of us as Scottsville Baptist Church are part of the body of Christ. And so in many ways, the collective kingdom of God is one body. And in other ways, the collective group at Scottsville Baptist Church are representative of the body. And for every single one of us, just like the body has many parts, and every part has a function, every part has a purpose, every part is important. In the same way, every single one of us in this room today have a purpose, a place, and a function that we are called to do as part of the body of Christ, both in Scottsville Baptist Church and in the collective larger body of the kingdom of God. So as we're thinking about that, he goes on to describe some of these spiritual gifts. And let me just say, as you look at, uh, in the Bible, places that describe spiritual gifts, there is no exhaustive uh, list to all of these that you'll find, like no one list, but here are a few. He says in verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness, and on and on we could go on about different gifts. And here's the truth. God has blessed you 
with spiritual gifts. God has blessed you with passions, with talents, abilities that only you can do in the way that you can do it. Because if you couple those things with your personality and the way God's made you, only you can do it in that way. And so as we're thinking about these things this morning, stop for a moment and consider what yours are. What are your passions, your giftings, your abilities? So many times when we think about those things, our minds are drawn to, well, I I can't do that, or I can't do this. You know, I I, I wish I could do that, but I can't do that. And instead of thinking that way, let me flip it to the other side. Okay, you might not be able to do a certain thing, but you can do this. Fill in that blank. Instead of thinking, oh, I can't do this, what can you do? And on and on, we can list at least a handful of things that our passions, our giftedness, our abilities can enable us to do for the kingdom of God. And you'll look at this list in verse 6 through 8, and there are a number of things mentioned here, but the similarity between all of them is the command to use it, to use your gifts, to sacrificially serve other people. And that's the reason God has blessed us. God hasn't just given you abilities to make money for your family. God hasn't just gifted you to enjoy life and to have hobbies with your gifts. He has gifted you to serve others with your abilities. He has gifted you to use those things to grow the kingdom of God. And so stop and do an assessment this morning of your life. When it comes to these things that you're gifted at, the things that you maybe are passionate about. How much do you use those things in a way that serves other people? And when I say that, let me add some clarity to it. How much do you use your giftings in a way that serve other people while at the same time are not self-serving at all? Because, you know, a lot of us, we would say, well, I serve people at work. That's true, probably for many of us. But in a lot of ways, that's self-serving, right? A lot of us would say, well, I serve in different ways with my family or, or the thing that I volunteer in. That may be true, but in some ways, probably if we're honest, the reason we do a number of those things is because they're self-serving. We scratch other people's backs because we hope they're going to scratch ours later. As we think about living sacrificially, our lives should not be like that. When it comes to at home, at work, at church, our free time, we should be living sacrificially. And listen, a lot of times when we serve others, God's going to bless us in return, but that shouldn't be the motivation. The motivation should be because Jesus has served us and, lived and gave of himself so sacrificially to us, we're going to do the same for other people with no strings attached. Whether they love us or hate us or whatever, like we're going to continue to serve sacrificially. That's what our lives should look like. And you know what's interesting? As you think about these three areas, you know, normally I don't leave all three points up here at one time. I like to just kind of move on to the next thought. But I want you to stop and consider these three ideas, these three demands for sacrificial living. I think all three of these are crucial because they're all related. They're all connected together. You know, I was thinking about this this week. If our lives aren't dedicated to Jesus and our spirits aren't humble, let's say we're missing those pieces, then what happens is we won't serve other people. If your life isn't dedicated to Jesus or you're not humble, you're not going to serve other people. If your spirit isn't humble 
and you're not serving others, then your life isn't dedicated to Jesus. Because that's what a life dedicated to Jesus would look like. And so all of these, in many ways, are interconnected. It's kind of like all or none in this scenario. And so think about your life when it comes to sacrificial living. Are there any one or two or maybe all of these areas that are missing in your life? When you stop and think about just general living day in and day out, is there an area that you feel like, I'm pretty weak in that or I need to grow in that area? And generally speaking, let me just ask you, are you living sacrificially? Because if you're not, you are missing some wonderful blessings that God has for you and God has for others through you. I want you to bow your head where you are this morning. Maybe this morning as you're thinking about your life and and your relationship with the Lord, if you're honest, somebody here today, maybe this morning would say, you know, I've only lived my life for myself. I've never lived my life for anyone else but me, especially thinking about living for Christ. I've never done that, never submitted my life to Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. In spite of your sin, in spite of your shortcomings, Jesus came and paid the punishment for your sin when he died on the cross. And on the third day, he came back to life so you can be forgiven, so you can have a relationship with God, so you can go to heaven one day instead of hell. If that's you this morning, if you say, you know, I've never given my life to Jesus and I would like to know more. I'd like to to talk more about what it means to be a Christian. I'd like to know for sure that I'd go to heaven one day. If that's you, would you lift your hand up where you are this morning and just say, Pastor, I would love to talk maybe after church or I want you you to be praying that I can talk to someone. That's you this morning. Just slip your hand up. As you think about your life, I know many of us in here, we're here because we're Christians. We want to follow the Lord, but maybe as time has gone on, maybe for you, you realize, you know, I haven't been living very sacrificially. I've been thinking of myself too highly. I maybe serve, only serve when it's convenient for me or when I benefit from it. You know, if that's the way that we're living, honestly, that's not sacrificial living. If that's the way we're living, we're not truly living a life devoted to Christ, and we're called to live devoted to Him, humbly serving others, all of that. And as you're thinking about your life, if there's an area that you say, you know, I need to give that over to the Lord, in just a moment when we sing, I'm going to encourage you to come down front and do just that. It can be easy to sit in our pews. It can be easy to, to pray or think about things there, but there's something about coming forward that says, God, I want to commit these things to you. And as we're thinking about all this together, one last thought. I want you to imagine for a moment As you've got your eyes closed, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye um, for a moment a church who truly sacrificed together, dedicated to Christ, living humbly, serving others. As you're imagining that church, I want you to imagine that being this church. That's a church that would make a difference. That's a church that would impact the community. That's a church that would be effective for the kingdom of God. 
And I want you to know as you're imagining that, that can be a reality, but it starts with each of us giving our lives over as individuals and collectively as a church and saying, God, we want to live sacrificially for you. And this morning, as we have our time of commitment, I want to encourage you, come forward, pray for yourself, pray for our church, that we would be sacrificial people. An effective church is a sacrificial church, but it begins with you. Are you ready? to make a difference by living sacrificially. Father, as we all have our heads bowed this morning, we're thinking about what it means to live a life devoted to you, to live a life that's sacrificially giving to you and to others because of what you've done for us. Lord, if we're honest this morning, each of us may do things that on the surface look sacrificial but many times are just self-serving. Lord, for every single one of us this morning, I pray that you would move in our hearts, help us to commit to leaving this place, living more sacrificially. And Lord, we know that begins by being devoted to you and our minds being conformed to and transformed to what you have for us. And so Lord, during this time of commitment, I pray that we would do just that. Lord, if there's another decision that needs to be made this morning that maybe I haven't even spoken about, through the power of your spirit, I pray that you would bring that to people's hearts and minds. Lord, help us leave this place in a better um, position, closer relationship with you than when we came in. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.